TII Item 351, June 8th, 2015, WWDC 2015 Keynote. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of who I am. This episode of Today in iOS is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn the top software, creative, and business skills from easy-to-follow video tutorials at lynda.com. To start your free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash TII. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First off, I want to thank Stuart for sending in the music you hear in the background. Stuart wrote, Hi, Rob. I created an entire album via iOS. The album is called Burst, and you can find it at redskylullaby.com slash album slash burst. Apps I use creating the album included, and well, you need to go back and listen to episode 349 for that really long list of apps. Today's song is called Peace Out. Regards, Stuart from Red Sky Lullaby. Well, thanks, Stuart, for the music. And folks, he also had the music for the last two episodes. And I will put the full song for today's show at the end of this episode. If you like these songs from episode 349, 350, 351, please go to his site, redskylullaby.com slash album slash burst to hear more of his music. Also want to thank DR for sending in the artwork for today's show. DR said the following. Hi, Rob. Here's an image for your next episode. I took this photo of the harbor here in Wellington, New Zealand with my iPhone 6. I used the app Typorama and simply chose one of the filters and then one typeface. Regards, DR. Well, thanks, DR, for sending in the artwork for this episode. And folks, you can see DR's artwork in the free TI app via the bonus button for episode 351 or at Instagram.com slash Today in iOS and also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at Facebook.com slash Today in iOS. If you have some artwork and or music that you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com and please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote, quote, What's the single most worrisome thing about the iPad? It's Apple's monopoly on distribution of applications, unquote. Harry McCracken, Technologizer.com, 29th, January, 2010. Even back in 2010, really? That was an issue for you, Mr. McCracken? That Apple had a walled garden? As I'm sure we will hear later on, Apple's walled garden is working pretty well for the app devs. And that means more quality apps for iOS users. Just saying. For promo codes on episode 350, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the apps Purge with two R's and the app Best Sleep Time, three words. We'll be giving out promo codes later this week for those apps. So for more info on these apps, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 350. This week, we have promo codes for the app Wide Show, one word. Here is the written review from the dev. Greetings from the Wide Show developer team. Wide Show is a cool new app that finally brings slideshows into the modern era. It uses GPS info to find the exact street name for every photo in the slideshow. 
The street name is then displayed on a map next to the photo. Wide show takes advantage of the airplay technology, so hooking it up to a TV or a projector is just a matter of seconds. In this way, you can use your iPhone as a remote and have the ability to change any setting without the viewers even noticing. Wide show is a joy to use on your vacation photos. As you go through them, you learn exactly which landmarks you have seen and what streets you were walking. It really brings you there for a few more minutes. Try it out, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we do. Well, thanks to the devs for their written review of their app, Wide Show, and for sending in the promo codes giveaway. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put Wide Show, one word, in the subject line. A quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com. Please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. Also, when you send in the promo codes, please make sure to let me know when they expire. In the perfect world, I would record the first half of this episode prior to the WWDC event the night before. And then soon as the WWDC event is over, I would finish up the second half just talking about that. Hey ho, perfect world. So this one is actually being recorded the first half the night before. And then later in the episode, we'll pause. And then I'll finish up this episode tomorrow after the WWDC event, which, of course, from your perspective, will be either today or in the past. In news not related to WWDC, thanks to Dr. John for this next one, or this first one, which is from the awesome Daniel Aaron Dilger over at Apple Insider. And it is a post that goes over a report that shows video viewing and browsing in the niche of premium video viewing, that is. And Apple TV has overtaken Roku to be the top premium video viewing place for set-top boxes. This report comes from Adobe, and they looked at over 200 billion online video plays, 2.85 billion TV Anywhere authenticated video streams, and over 500 billion website visits. According to the report from Adobe, in just one quarter, Apple TV went from 5% in Q4 of 2014 to 10% in Q1 2015. And think what's going to happen in Q2 2015 when you factor in HBO Now and Game of Thrones. On the mobile side, iOS now accounts for 47%. That's up from where it was with Android devices uh, where they had been at 15%, and desktop and mobile browsers-based video coming in at 14 which is an all-time low for that category. So what does this all mean? Well, that Apple is in the driver's seat of premium video content, and that includes services like Netflix, HBO Go, obviously now HBO Now, which wasn't included in those stats, Hulu, and other similar services, which is great for users of iOS and Apple TV, as it's likely, very, very likely, that whenever new premium video products or services are launched, they'll be launched first for iOS and Apple TV users, just like we saw with HBO Now. Some Apple Watch news. Apple has now announced which countries are going to get it next, with next being June 26th and the seven countries being Italy, Mexico, Singapore, South Korea, Spain, Switzerland, and Taiwan. Beginning on the 26th in those seven countries, you will be able to order from the Apple online store, at Apple retail stores, and at select Apple authorized resellers. 
Pricing will not be available in those countries until the 26th. One last minute rumor that came up, which hopefully we will have verified by the end of this episode, is that Apple Pay will be coming to the UK within the next two months. Guess we'll know more again by the time you get to the end of episode 351. Switching gears. Apple states in the docs for devs that publicly announcing issues with the review process for your app does not speed up the process for your app. (laughs) Yeah, right. Two days after Pebble went public, airing their frustrations with a very lengthy review, as in over six weeks lengthy, of its app, bingo, bango, bongo, the app was suddenly approved. Just like that. Poof. Yep. As Apple says, it does not speed up the process going public with your review delays. Nope, never has. Not even six years ago when the TII app was rejected six times. And then I put out a blog post detailing all of the rejections. And magically, the app, which was not changed, just resubmitted, was then approved. Just saying. Anyway, if you are getting or have received the new Pebble Watch, you can now go get the new app for it, and it will now work. I know a couple people had already received the watch and were waiting for the app. Hey... Good news, folks. And please send in your reviews of what you think of the new Pebble Watches. I would love to hear what people think of it and the software. As always, to give us feedback, call us 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Into the email bag we go. Hi, Rob. Love the show. Been a fan for years. I even had your TI app for years. I've emailed you before, and you've always been very willing to help. Hoping you can help with this. I have an iPhone 6 Plus running 8.3. I looked at the Evasion website. Uh, does not say anything about a jailbreak for 8.3 or even 8.0. They are still on 7.3, I believe. But when I go to Google search about Evasion, it says there's a jailbreak available for 8.0, and it's called Pango Utility. I've never heard of anything like that. It's either Evasion or nothing, in my opinion. Is Pango a trustworthy jailbreak? One more question, Rob. Do you know what that means? Evasion, Pango, Utility, which one is the right one? Are they combining companies or are they merging? Is it a scam? Thanks for all the help you've given in the past. And love we do, yada, yada, other nice things. Thanks for your time, Chris in Los Angeles. Well, hi, Chris. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, right now, the latest version of iOS you can still jailbreak is 8.1.1, and that is with the Pango jailbreak. Uh, rumor is they have a solution that will work for 8.3 and 8.4, but are not releasing it until 8.4 is released because Apple may change something. So for now, since you're at 8.3, there's no legit way to jailbreak, not yet, but hopefully soon. I should point out, do not upgrade to 8.4 when it's first launched. If you're thinking about jailbreaking, just because the rumor mill says you'll be able to jailbreak at 8.4 does not mean you actually will be able to jailbreak the gold master of 8.4. So again, the best thing to do if you want to jailbreak and are now at 8.3 is to stay on 8.3 when 8.4 comes out, at least until the Pango jailbreak team has a chance to do what they can do and announce what they can and cannot actually jailbreak. And yes, the Pango jailbreak team is legit, and no, they are not part or merged with the Evasion jailbreak team. They're two different teams. This episode is brought to you by Lynda, the online learning platform with over 3,300 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. 
For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash TII. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TII. Lynda is for the problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you don't want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com slash TII and feed your curious mind. Some of the courses I think many of you will benefit from that just came out in the last two weeks are Asking for a Raise with Lisa Gates and How to Rock Social Media with Guy Kawasaki. There was also an update to Up and Running with iTunes 12 with Garrick Chow. And of course, for Apple Watch users, there is Up and Running with Apple Watch. This is a 40-minute video that takes you over configuring and setting up your Apple Watch using glances, customizing the watch faces, receiving notifications, and more. Definitely check it out if you have an Apple Watch or want to see it in action and what is involved in setting it up. With a Lynda membership, you can download tutorials and watch them on the go, including on your iOS device. Stream over 3,300 video courses on demand and learn on your own schedule. Watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching. Courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish or consume them in bite-sized pieces. Your Lynda membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash TII and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TII. Thanks, Linda, for sponsoring this show. Hey, Rob, this is Mike from San Jose, California. I wanted to ask you and your listeners, what is the best podcast app for video podcast? I use Stitcher for all of my audio podcasts, and I like Stitcher. It works fine for me, but I use the Apple podcast app. I'm not really too happy with that one. I use it now because it's the only one I'm familiar with, and it's kind of the default native app. But I wanted to ask, is there another app out there people use specifically for video podcasts? I use Stitcher for the audio. And also, I wanted to ask, are, are any of your use, uh, I'm sorry, any of your listeners out there fellow artists? I'm an aspiring artist, and I'm on the Apple Store. Apple webs or the Apple store right now and I'm looking at some of the podcasts and I'm looking at a lot of the art based podcasts and a lot of them are old and they don't update like a uh, one of them I was interested in hasn't been updated since 2008 so I was just curious if there's any of your listeners out there are fellow artists and they follow or subscribe to any of the podcasts and I would like to subscribe to those and check those out also. But uh, there's kind of there's a lot of them to uh, look through, and I'm not sure. I don't know. Just a lot. It's kind of overwhelming. I'm kind of looking at illustrating and caricature drawing, cartoon drawing, portraits, and uh, figure drawing would be good. I definitely need to take some figure drawing classes. Just general illustration classes. Any artists out there have any podcasts that they could recommend? That would be great. Thanks a lot, Rob. Bye. Mike, thanks for the question. So the last one there was, folks, if you have any podcasts that you listen to or watch that help with illustrations and artwork, please let us know what those are. Give us a call or send us an email. And then the first question was, of video podcasts, which app do you use to aggregate your video podcasts? What's your favorite app? Personally, I use a podcast app. I like that one for audio and video, and you know that's the one I use the most. But I also want to know the one that most people use, which happens to be the 
iTunes podcast app or Apple's podcast app. So that's why another reason I use it. But if anyone out there has a favorite third party podcast aggregator app for watching video podcasts, which app is it that you use? And again, give us a call or send us an email. On the last episode, there was a question about Bluetooth and car speakers. Uh, here's a response from Kareem Haskett in the Google Plus community. Quote, I have the answer to one of your viewers who called in about their phone not defaulting to the car Bluetooth speakers. If they go to settings, then general, then accessibility, then call audio routing and switch the setting to headset from the phone will always default to the Bluetooth device for audio, whether it be a headset, an earpiece, or the car speaker. Most people have this setting set to automatic, and frankly speaking, iPhone chooses the wrong item sometimes, unquote. Which is also the same advice that Fraser sent in. So thanks, gentlemen, for sending in that advice. So again, if you have Bluetooth issues on priority with your car, go to Settings, General, Accessibility, Call Audio Routing, and then change it from Automatic to Headset. And then going forward, it should prioritize your car's Bluetooth system. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I was wondering if you could help me. Every time my wife opens her mail, she gets her new mail notification in the middle of her screen. The only way she can get rid of it is by clicking close or options and then open it. And I've tried mirroring my phone with hers, but it still does the same thing. I was curious if you might know the fix. I'm including a screenshot of my wife's mail issues. Thanks in advance. Regards, Roy. I then replied with the following to Roy. Go under notifications, mail. And what is it set for for, the, for each mailbox? For alert style, when unlocked, change it to banner. Let me know if that fixes the issue. And Roy did reply back and say, yes, that did fix the issue. So if you are someone that has the same issue, you can do the same thing to fix it. Again, go to notifications and then go to mail under notifications and change it, the alert style when unlocked, change it to banner. And it was probably set for the other one, but again, just change it to banner, and that should take care of it popping up in the middle of the screen. I did hear back from a few listeners about the AirWatch app. Uh, most, that was the one where I had one listener was having a problem with that. Most did not have any issues with AirWatch app, but the solution to the original listener seems to be that their email address was double entered in the system and they needed to delete the app and their IT department had helped them delete it and then reinstall and then it was cleared out so it was just one email address and now all things seem to be working fine for that listener. Rob, I was thinking about the fellow whose uh, girlfriend dropped her phone while trying to put it in the protective screen. You might just check out eBay and see what you can find for replacement screens. Uh, I just got done doing some repair on, uh, on some other phones. And in the case of um, Apple, I do believe it's just those two little screws at the bottom of the, uh, of the phone uh, that uh, release the whole screen. And then it's just a matter of gently unplugging the old connector and plugging in the new one. So you might be able to get on eBay and get a new screen that way for the appropriate model phone. I think you said it was a 5S. Uh, one other possibility is there is one chain out there called Broke ASS Stocks. Uh, so about the swear word, but that is the name of the company. Okay, uh, that's what I got. This is Ron Lector in Harvard, Ohio. Okay, thanks. Bye bye. Ron, thanks for the heads up on Broke ASS Bones.com. 
So that's one other option folks can look at if they break their phone. We are now well over 2,000 members in our Google Plus community and growing. Thanks to everyone that has joined and thanks for the great posts. One new post in the Google Plus community that came up since the last episode came out was from Robert Kelly, who wrote the following, quote, no more throttling. I read that starting last month, AT&T will only throttle unlimited users if they're on a congested tower. Well, I hit 10 gigabytes last night and I never noticed slow speeds, unquote. Well, thanks, Robert, for the post. And this goes back to something AT&T said in early May that they would stop automatic throttling this due to pressure it was receiving from the FTC. What AT&T said in May was, quote, customers on an unlimited legacy data plan may experience reduced speeds only when using data services at times when they are in an area where the network is experiencing congestion, unquote. Again, this is all because of government regulators getting up in AT&T's business about their unfair practices for unlimited users. So congrats to the government for pushing AT&T into the right direction on that one. Since the last episode, there were also dozens and dozens of other new posts in the TAII Google Plus community, which is an Android fanboys free zone and spammer free zone. Yep, it is the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS. Folks, go to todayinios.com slash community to join in, and thanks to all 2,000 plus of you already in the community and contributing. One rumor that came out this past week that definitely will not be addressed at the keynote, not this one at least, is a rumor or leak, depending on how you look at it, per the launch date of the next iPhone. As the story goes, there was an email allegedly sent to a blog. A Vodafone employee was the one supposedly sending the email and he confirmed or the person confirmed the new iPhone would be available to customers on September 25th with pre-orders starting on September 18th. First, let's put this in perspective. No, someone at Vodafone does not have the Apple release schedule yet. Per the dates, do they make sense? Well, let's look at last year's event. The Apple event for 2014 was on Tuesday, the September 9th, a week and a day after Labor Day. Pre-orders started on the 12th, that was that Friday, with the iPhone being available on the 19th, a week and a few days after the announcement. In 2013, the live event was on September 10th, a week and a day after Labor Day. Pre-orders were on the 13th, again the Friday of that week, and the iPhone launched one week later on the 20th. So if we go with the same week and a day after Labor Day for this year, 2015, we get the Apple Live event to be on September 15th, with the pre-orders on September 18th and the launch on September 25th. To me, this sounds more like a blog doing what I just did to figure out dates and then saying they got an email from Vodafone than it does a low-level Vodafone employee actually having this info. Do I believe the dates? Yes. I just don't believe the manner in which they were supposedly garnered. Is it possible that Apple could actually have the event on Wednesday the 9th, two days after Labor Day? Mm, sure, it's possible, but definitely not probable. Apple likes to get the most PR and buzz they can from their events, and Labor Day week is not the best time to do that. A lot of people go out on vacation. Based on the calendar this year and the late date for Labor Day, I would have to go with September 25th as the launch date for the next iPhone. And of course, then September 15th as the date of the special event. The only other date for the special event that would 
even come close to making any sense would be Tuesday the 2nd of September, the week before Labor Day weekend, with pre-orders then on Friday the 11th and a launch of the, on the 18th of September. The only reason I would even mention that possibility is that Apple's 2015 fiscal year ends on September 26th, and it's possible Apple would want to get a full week and a day of the next-gen iPhone sales in the books rather than just two days. So as, you know, better match up with how it went last year's numbers. Again, and there's another reason I think it could possibly be that date, and that's going because I'm going to be on a plane the morning of the 18th, and that would really be like the worst date possible for the drop date for me. So that's the other reason I think it might happen on the 18th. But really... If you ask me to pick a specific date for the next-gen iPhone launch based on the past history, I would say September 25th looks like the most logical date. And I think that's what that blog did to come up with the most logical date and then said they have a source. Another rumor about the next-gen iPhone is one about the iPhone 6 Plus S, or is it 6S Plus? This rumor is coming from the Chinese blog Feng, F-E-N-G, and they are saying the iPhone 6 Plus, which is currently a 19, the 6 Plus right now is currently a 1920 by 1080 resolution display, is looking at doubling those numbers for the next gen of that device to 3840 by 2160. This seems like bloggers speculating Apple will play into the spec escalation game that's going on traditionally on the Android side, but they have not traditionally played into. To me, it seems silly to go to those numbers as we are already at a Retina Plus resolution. So all it really means in the real world going to those high res is that our apps will get much bigger when they update their artwork to the new specs. Yeah, just what we always wanted, bigger apps. I don't see the real world gain in going to the higher resolution and only see the downside of more storage used per app. But who knows? We'll find out more probably around September 15th. This next one comes from Steve in Arizona. Thank you. Which is a blog post titled, This May Have Been Samsung's Biggest Mistake in Years. And well, how could I not look over this post from Fortune? The article talks about a sales drop in China by more than 50% versus last year. And overall, the Galaxy S6, their direct competitor to the 6 and 6 Plus, just not shipping as well as past Galaxy devices. They have a quote in the article per a research note from Oppenheimer Bank that reads, quote, When we look at Samsung's flagship in 2015, the Galaxy S6 Edge, almost all the differentiators fall back to hardware. Cutting-edge CPU, curved display, iPhone-like metal casing, front area finger sensor, fingerprint sensor, and camera with OIS, unquote. The fact that the Galaxy S6 sales are down compared to the S5 is not a shocker. What Sammy did was to try and clone the iPhone with an iPhone-like metal casing, no more removable battery, no expandable storage, and not being waterproof. In essence, they took the features that differentiated it from the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus and removed them. And anything new, like fingerprint sensor and metal case that were on the 6 and 6 Plus, were direct clones. Well, actually, the fingerprint sensor was before that. But anyway, they were direct clones of the iPhone. So basically, it came down to consumers saying, well, if I'm going to get this phone or if I'm going to get that phone, the only difference seems to be the OS. And guess what, folks? iOS wins out versus Android when that is the case, especially at the top end of the market. And on the lower end of the market, 
Xiaomi is eating their lunch. So to see the Galaxy S6 having sales issues and selling less units versus the previous year is no shocker. They really must be freaking out at Sammy headquarters. Their copy, what Apple does strategy, is not working now. Oh no! They might have to think of something new on their own. Sammy right now is between a rock and a hard place. We'll likely have trouble for years to come. And that well just breaks my heart. Hey Rob, this is Mike in Danville, California. Yeah, I love your show. I've been listening for a while, but uh, was finally motivated to call after I uh, went into the swimming pool with my iPhone 5 that I was trying to limp along until the release of the next iPhone 6S or 7, whatever it's going to be. Didn't quite make it, so I headed down to the Verizon store at the local shopping mall and picked up a 6 and loved the device. I was talking to the representative who didn't seem to be too familiar with iOS or Apple devices. He was sporting his own Samsung and asked him if it was true that I would, for the first time, be able to talk and use data at the same time on my Verizon phone. And the representative told me that that was only possible on Samsung devices, which I was reasonably sure wasn't true. So I, while I was waiting for the device, I used one of their tablets and started Googling around and found out that it's a very easy uh, feature to enable on your device. You just go to cellular or so you go to settings, cellular, and enable LTE on voice and data. And voila, you should have the ability to use data and talk on your phone at the same time, which if you're a Verizon user, you haven't been able to do in the past. So I just wanted to remind all the Verizon users out there with sixes, and six pluses that if you don't have this feature enabled, you shouldn't enable it because we have lived without that for a very long time. And the other thing I wanted to tell you, Rob, is that when I went to buy the device, the representative sold me on the Ed, the Verizon Edge plans, which you mentioned on your last episode, AT&T and Verizon are going to be phasing out the, the contract pricing uh, with the new devices. So they talked me into that. And I just was curious on your take and your listeners' take on these plans because we're going to have a, a, a difficult decision to make as to whether we're going to pay the full cost of the phone, which in my case would have been over $700, or simply just agreeing to you know, pay a, a, a monthly fee, which for, in my case was going to be $31, but Verizon said that because I had more than a 10-gigabyte data plan, they would discount my data or they would discount my contract by $25. So it ended up being $6 a month for the device over a 24-month period. And you do the math, that doesn't equate $700. So I was trying to figure out what the catch was. There's got to be a catch. There's no way that these companies here in the U.S. are not making some money off this. I'm going to try to figure out what for my next devices, if I'm just going to pay the full price or do the $6 a month thing through Verizon's Edge. So would love to hear your take, your listeners' take, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks for the show. Bye-bye. Hi, Mike. They're going to get you one way or another. So my question to you would be, is how much are you playing for your data plan that you currently have with them? So what's your monthly payment after it's all said and done and you got the phone and it's an additional, whatever, $6 a month now on the Edge plan? What's your total monthly spend with Verizon Look at that bill, what that is, and then compare that, you know, over 24 months. Compare that to, say, with someone like T-Mobile, where it's $50 a month, and then you pay for the phone outright. 
you know, how does that compare? Or even $80 a month with when you go to the all full unlimited with, with uh, T-Mobile. So I think you need to look at what is your complete monthly spend with Verizon for that phone and on a monthly basis and compare that with something else and then look at it again over a 24-month period and look at versus T-Mobile when you spent the $700 up front plus your, your lower monthly fee. When I last looked at this, which was back when the iPhone 6 first came out, so right after it, back in the October timeframe, at that point in time, when you looked at the 24-month ownership cost, that included if you had any prepayment or if you paid for it outright, plus your monthly plans to get unlimited data and talk and text, T-Mobile was the cheapest solution for your overall 24-month pay, uh, payout. And Verizon and AT&T were basically about the same, and they were the most expensive, and then Sprint was a little bit cheaper than Verizon and AT&T. Rob, I just received my Apple Watch Sport 42 millimeter with Sport Band, and I just received an email today from Apple inviting me to schedule an online personal setup session. Just wanted to let you know that it doesn't look like it's exclusive now to people who ordered the more expensive Apple Watch, as mine was one of the lower cost or least expensive sport models. Just thought you would be interested. Regards, Brent Harbold. Well, thanks, Brent, for the heads up. So it does look like a lot of people are getting the invite for the personal setup again. Early before the iPhone launch, there was word that that was only going to be for the Apple Watch and the Apple Watch Edition and not for the Sport. But it seems like Apple changed their mind or the initial report was wrong. Hi, Rob. I've run into a little problem with the iTunes Store. There are some songs or EPs that I've purchased before, full albums, uh, before the full album came out. Usually, iTunes is good about this, and it discounts my later albums or pre-orders accordingly. But sometimes I'll open up an album page, and it doesn't seem to remember I've bought songs off of it, even though there are they are in my purchase section. This is a slightly frustrating. Is there any way to tell which albums are available in complete, and in complete my album or not? Is this strictly a record label thing, or is there some way I can convince iTunes that I've actually purchased these tracks before? I know this works with EPs going to albums as well, because sometimes when I've bought the EP, it credits those songs too. Thanks for any light you or your listeners could shed. Regards, Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. I'm going to throw this one out to the audience because I don't buy many albums. So, folks, if you have any answers for Chelsea... Please give us a call or send us an email. Let us know your thoughts and what Chelsea can do there to make sure she gets proper credit. Hi, Rob. Thank you for your answer and reading out my email on your last show. Would you believe it? My Apple Watch turned up three days after I sent you that email. As a disabled Apple user, I love my watch. It's everything and more. And yet again, Apple, in my opinion, has done it again by setting the bar. Just a quick question this time. Do you know if there is an app that can monitor your sleep through the watch yet? And if not, do you know if this will be something available in the future? Kind regards, Paul McFadden, Scotland. Hi, Paul. Congrats and thanks for the question. It was one I had recently thought about as well and meant to ask the audience. Does anybody out there know of a good sleep app or the Apple Watch um, that they've found. I'm guessing there will be some really good options once the native apps are available because right now 
I don't think you can get much access to the sensors. But if anyone has found a good or great sleep app for the Apple Watch, please let us know. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob. I hope you can add this to your show next time or on your, your bingo card. Please, 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 please. I would like them to announce a, a new 4-inch iPhone with Apple Pay and Thumb ID. I can't stand these large phones. I don't know. I love my small phone. I'm kind of, Now I'm using an iPhone 5. I want to move it to a 6, but I can't stand the size. I like something small and handy in my pocket. Thank you. Bye-bye. Fred, thanks for the voicemail message, and I'm sure for the bingo card for September event, I will have on there a 4-inch iPhone 6S, whatever, 6, 6C, whatever it is. I hope that there is three sizes of the next-gen iPhone and that you have the 4, the 4.7, and the 5.5-inch. I know a lot of people have emailed me and said to me or called in before and said that they would like to see a 4-inch version of the 6, 6 Plus. And as I've said before on the show, my son was very excited when my wife looked at my 6 Plus and said, nope, don't want that when you upgrade. And he was excited because he said, oh, I get it then. So he likes the bigger, my wife likes the smaller, and there's a lot of other women and men that like the smaller size iPhone. It fits better in the pocket. It's just more handy. And if you're using it basically for just sending a couple emails, checking Twitter, a little bit of social media stuff, and not a lot of web viewing, uh, then yeah, the smaller size really does come in handy. And especially now with the Apple Watch, you can you know do some additional things with the Apple Watch. It means you can keep it in your pocket and it fits better in your pocket. This week for a Kickstarter project, we have U-Charger. This is a small adapter for plugging in a micro USB charge cord to the adapter and then the adapter to the lightning port. This is something if you are outside the US will be most attractive as outside the US, you will find more non-Apple chargers than the Apple chargers. But even in the US, if you have a device that you need to charge like a battery pack or a Bluetooth speaker, they are almost always micro USB. So you need to carry that charger plus your lightning charger. This allows you to carry this small adapter, which you can then use or add to your keychain and then use whenever you need to. And it's also really small and you can put it in your pocket. This one has until July 2nd at 5.15 p.m. Central Time to be funded. So far, they've raised about 50% of their goal of a modest 5,500, actually 5,475 US dollars. Pricing for this is 13 euros or about $14 US. Free international shipping is included. This one's coming out of Europe. If you are interested in this one, search for U Charger. That's the letter U and Charger, all one word, at kickstarter.com or in the show notes for episode 351 at todayinios.com. And now I will pause the recording and we'll come back and finish this episode Monday when the WWDC keynote is over. And I'm back. What was one second for you was over 16 hours for me per today's keynote. There was the typical music played before it started and the last song being Uptown Funk. Not sure if there was any relevance to that last song that they play. Just thought I'd point it out. 
Then they went into a funny video with some dev insider jokes. I like the goat simulator joke the best, but the elevator full of Tim Cook lookalikes and the flying angel investor were pretty good bits as well. I wonder somewhere they'll probably have that video online. I'll have to find it and get a link to you on a future episode. After the video, Tim Cook came out and kicked off the keynote, the 26th WWDC event, with attendees from 70 countries and 80% of them being first-time attendees, as Tim pointed out. There were also 350 student scholarship winners, the youngest being a 12-year-old girl from New York. Think Arya Stark in King's Landing to get an idea of how she is feeling this week. Right off the bat, Tim Cook stated there would be native Apple Watch apps, so no suspense there, and that the keynote would be broken down in order of OS X, iOS, and then watchOS. Tim did not go over his typical numbers or updates or marketing, rah, 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 just said all is great and then handed it over to Craig Frederici, who did most of the heavy lifting for OS X and iOS during this event. To start with, OS X's newest version will be called El Capitan. And the key to the update, or for the, the main part about the El Capitan update, from what I gathered, and the message I got, was really about performance improvements for battery life and graphics performance. I mean, yes, they talked a little bit about some new features, but really it was about performance improvements. That was the, the main message I took out of that. The beta for devs is available now. Public beta is in July, Goldmaster in the fall. This is an iOS show, so we'll jump forward to the iOS update. And to no one's surprise, iOS 9 was introduced. But first, Craig went over a couple of quick numbers with regards to iOS 8 and its adoption, and we're now at 83% adoption rate for iOS 8, versus just 12% for Android in about a similar amount of time. First off, they talked about improvements and added capabilities for Siri, no shocker, and coupled it with what they called intelligence, which is their way or Apple's way of saying Siri can look across your devices to gather the info it needs to let you know what you need to do, when to leave for the airport and other things. And this even extends to when you get a phone call from someone that's not in your contact list, or rather than it just being a phone number. The iPhone can now search through your emails to try to get an idea of who might be calling. But here is something really important, how what Apple introduced their intelligence is 180 degrees different in what Google recently announced at their I.O. dev event. With Apple, it's all about privacy and security of your info. If Siri needs to check traffic to see when you need to leave, it does it via a randomized identifier. Your info is anonymous. It's not linked to other Apple services, and it's not shared with third parties. As Apple said, you are in control of your data. Again, 180 degrees different than what Google announced recently. Search on the iPhone is getting much better, with searches extending to Vimeo, Netflix, YouTube, Health App, Weather, iCloud, Drive, and more. Additionally, Apple is going to have a third-party API. So in theory, if you can talk if I can talk to our devs here for the TI app in the future, you would be able to search through the show notes for past TI episodes from Spotlight and search um, even from Siri. As always, you will be able to decide what you do and do not want to search through. Apple showed a slide with over 35 items listed for search. All currently, some of them are currently available, plus some a bunch of new ones that I just mentioned and others that I didn't mention. I didn't want to go through the whole list. 
They are also adding a scrubber bar for scanning more easily through photos. Then Apple talked about Apple Pay. The first of two women from Apple came up on stage. Jennifer Bailey, who heads up Apple Pay, talked about new features. First was that Discover will be supporting Apple Pay. So you have a Discover card. You will now be able to use that with Apple Pay. She then mentioned some retailers that they're adding. Key on that list, at least to me, is Trader Joe's. Yay! And they are also doing an interaction or partnership up with Square. Not 100% sure on how that's going to work. More, I am sure, on that in the near future. Next month, she said Apple Pay will be available at over 1 million U.S. locations. There is also a partnership with Pinterest for payable pins. And as mentioned earlier in the show, or rumored and speculated early in the show, the U.K. is getting Apple Pay, but not in two months, rather next month. And it will launch at over 250,000 locations in the U.K., including at London Transit locations. The big addition to Apple Pay was, as rumored, the addition of store cards and rewards cards for stores. And Apple Pay will automatically pick out your rewards card for you. So no more hunting for your wallet or purse for the correct rewards card to get the proper credit. Apple Pay will do it for you. If you think you're hearing some thumping going on in the background, that's just Apple Pay driving a few more nails into the casket of currency. And finally, Passbook is getting a name change to Wallet. Not to be confused with Google Wallet, this is Apple Wallet, or really just Wallet. And it is meant to replace your actual wallet, and Google Wallet as well, for some. Craig came back to talk about other Apple apps. Next up was the Notes app, where they have added a toolbar with more formatting options. About time, or actually with some formatting options, and definitely about time on that one. And they added a checklist, so when you make out that grocery list, no more having to delete items off the list. You just check it as you put it in your basket. You can now add photos to notes, and you can draw in notes. No more need for the back of napkins. You can just draw away in the Notes app. And in other native apps, you can share links back to the Notes app. And of course, Notes syncs across all your Apple products via iCloud, if you so have it set up. Yes, lots of updates and mentions of the Notes app. Next, they talked about the Maps app. With over 5 billion requests for Maps, And as expected, they added transit support, or actually its own breakout app called Transit. This has lots of detailed info for those using public transportation, including layouts of subway stations and where the entry and exits are and optimal walking directions to get to your train or subway car from where you are now. To no one's surprise, this is just going to be available in select cities, but the number of cities is bigger than I expected. In the US, it will be available for New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, as predicted on last show, along with Baltimore, Philly, and Washington, D.C. Outside the U.S., there will also be Berlin and London, both of whom I mentioned on the last show, plus Toronto and Mexico City. And then in China, there is support for Beijing, Chengdu, Guangzhou, Hangzhou, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Wuhan, Xi'an, and Zhengzhou, and they say there's more to come. Apple then introed what is likely to be a flipboard killer called News. This is a brand new app. This was introduced by Susan Prescott, the second woman to come on stage at this Apple event from Apple, which is more women on stage than I can ever remember from an Apple event 
that were actually women from Apple. Kudos for more diversity, Apple. Essentially, what the news app is, is you can create your own customized news feed. They have a partnership with major news outlets and ESPN, but it'll also support blogs, and they even showed Daring Fireball as one of the possible sources. Sounds like you can really add in any blog or news source that you want, as Craig said at the end, but clearly the ones that will look best are the ones that they partnered with. To start with, uh, this will launch in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. Again, to me, this looks like a Flipboard killer. wonder what Chris in London thinks about this. He's a big Flipboard user. I'll be interested in testing this out once it's available and see how it does with tech topics. Craig came back out and uh, he talked about the iPad. Man, for the iPad, they added shortcuts to the suggestion bar. With quick type, one new feature is on your keyboard. If you swipe around with two fingers, it will move the cursor around that you are typing. This is a much easier way to place the cursor in a note or an email and do some editing. It essentially changes the keyboard into a trackpad when you're swiping around with two fingers. Then, as expected, they introduced or added multitasking with three key things being part of multitasking. First, there is slide over. This allows you to slide over from the right another open app so that you can then copy something out of it and then paste that info from it into your main app. It's not true two apps at the same time. It's two apps at the same time with one app being active and the other not. Uh, if you really wanted it to be true multitasking, it would have to be two apps active at the same time. So split screen view, that is where you have two true apps and that is the true multitasking so that's called split or split screen view versus slide over which is not here you can adjust the amount of screen that is split screened so it's not just a 50 50 split uh, you can adjust it as you need it plus they also now support picture in picture so you can start a video in a video app and then go picture in picture with it and move it around that video over any of the other open apps it worked really nice in the demo that they had. Her what devices support what? Slide over. Again, not two true apps at once, but slide over is available for the iPad Air and Air 2, iPad Mini 2 and iPad Mini 3, as is picture in picture. But to get to true multitasking, the split view, as they call it, that is the only available on the iPad Air 2 at this time. There was some confusion on some of the blogs about iPhone supporting these features. It does not. Not even the 6 Plus. From what I went back and rewatched that part of the video, only the iPads mentioned to support these features. The confusion came when Craig said the iPhone supported the new App Switcher, which was improved in iOS 9. But the App Switcher is not multitasking. It's just, well, switching between apps. It just looks better now when you double tap the home button to switch between the open apps. Another key feature Craig talked about is about a single switch for optimizing battery consumption, which can greatly extend battery life when you are running low on juice. There was a lot about iOS 9 being better optimized for power consumption on its own and getting an hour more of real world use for most users when you update to iOS 9 and that it was streamlined, especially for over-the-air updates. With iOS 8 to update over-the-air, you needed over 4 gigs, I think over 5 gigs, depending on 
the device of space. With iOS 9, you just need 1.3 gig of free space. I was really expecting a standalone HomeKit-specific app. There was no mention of such thing. They did mention a little bit about HomeKit, but no standalone app for it. And CarPlay, Craig made mention of it going wireless on connectivity, but excuse me, did they not say that same thing at a past event? And the biggest round of applause, without a doubt, was when Craig said Apple is making Swift open source. Of course, this is a dev conference, so understand the audience. But Apple thinks this is the language devs will be using 20 years from now. They also had a screen up there with new APIs and features for iOS 9 for devs. The ones highlighted were Swift 2, new health data types, new HomeKit profiles, search extensibility, UI testing and Xcode, wireless CarPlay, app thinning, and gaming APIs. Others not highlighted that sound interesting, audio unit extensions, sensor profile, and a really interesting one that mentioned flyover and walkthrough, plus HomeKit iCloud remote access. More on these APIs in future episodes for sure. iOS 9 beta for devs today, public beta in July, Goldmaster in the fall. Oh, and iOS 9, this is important, is available for all devices that iOS 8 supports. No one gets cut loose at this time. Take that, Android users. Tim Cook came back on stage and gave some numbers, as in over 100 billion app downloads have been achieved, and that over $30 billion have been paid out to devs already. The average iOS user downloads about 119 apps, which is amazing as the average podcast listener listens to about three podcasts or less. That means having your own app for the average podcast consumer is not something the listener will shy away from. They are used to having lots of apps. Just something to remember, fellow podcasters that are listening, get yourself an app like the TII app. Next up was WatchOS. Kevin Lynch came out and introduced WatchOS 2. Yes, six weeks in already, and we're at WOS 2. Some of the new features he talked about well, first and foremost is that native apps will be supported. Then he went into improvements of the Apple apps. With Timepiece, they added a watch face called Photo Face, where you can pick a specific photo to be your watch screen, or you can pick an album, when it, and it will then pick a different photo for you each time you raise your wrist. And they are adding what they call complications, where app devs can then create their own own info for the watch face. Another new feature is called Time Traveler, where you can change the time with the digital crown and the info you see on the watch face will change. So if you have the weather or calendar showing, as you scroll through the time forward in the day, the calendar info will update as you go through that time period. And the prediction for the temperature will update as well. There is now a nightstand mode for the Apple Watch when it's charging, that is. And if you turn the Apple Watch on its side, the clock basically becomes a clock for your bedside. And you can even have an alarm. You can turn an alarm off or snooze. You can now reply to emails directly from the Apple Watch. Yay! You can do FaceTime audio calls right from the Apple Watch. You can tell Siri to start your workout. That one I like. And you can control HomeKit for the Apple Watch. And it gets transit support. 
So you could get the turn-by-turn -turn directions right there on your wrist. And you can play back audio right on the speakers of your Apple Watch now. So if you have music on your Apple Watch and you're out and about, you can play the music there. And devs can access the mic as well. And you can play video on the Apple Watch. Some of the dev kits uh, they showed that are available now for the Apple Watch with access for the devs, the accelerometer, core motion, core graphics, taptic engine, audio, map kit, clock kit, digital crown, core location, video, health kit, context, home kit, watch kit, event kit, microphone, and there were others. So per previous question of a good sleep app, that will definitely be possible now. So while there may not be one yet, there definitely will be one in the future. Beta for devs is available today and available in the fall for everyone else. Definitely need to get me that beta ASAP. Tim Cook came back on stage and then uttered those three special words, one more thing. And as expected, that one more thing was Apple Music. Actually, Jimmy Iovine came out at that point to go over it. They need to polish him a little bit on our speaking. Essentially, they, he explained that Apple Music is a three-headed beast. Okay, my words, not his. There is the revolutionary music service. This is the streaming of millions of songs. Then there is the 24-7 global radio station with hand-picked songs by music experts, not by an algorithm. And then there is the part where fans can connect with artists. Think the resurrection of Ping. In a nutshell, the cost for the streaming service, Apple Music that is, is $9.99 a year, so $10 a year for a single user, or $14.99 or $15 a year for a family of up to six. Seems Apple has something against Catholics, just saying. The first three months of the service, it will be free to test out, and it'll be launching in 100 countries, yes, you heard me right, 100 countries at launch later this month with an update to iOS 8.4. So when 8.4 comes out, it will be available in 100 countries right off the bat. Then later on, it will also be available via an app for Android. And that was the full keynote. Well, except they ended with the song from the band, The Weeknd. So how did the bingo card do this year? And please remember, these are not my predictions. These are just ones I collect from around the world. Those that were correct were iOS 9, Apple Music Streaming Service, Toolkit for Native Apple Watch, apps, and split-screen mode for the iPad for a bingo from top left to bottom right. Other boxes that clearly were checked off are expanded Siri features, no new Apple TV, iOS 9 for iPhone 4S and the A5 devices, Mac OS 10 10.11, Apple Pay Rewards Program, and Mass Transit for Apple Maps. Okay, technically it's its own app, but I think it still counts. One other that I think uh, counts is iOS 9 optimized and stabilized. Apple did not use the word stabilized, but that's not kind of surprising. It's not like they were going to get out there and say iOS 8 is not stable, but hey, iOS 9 is. But clearly that is what the update is in large part about, which is why it's, it's also available for the same devices as iOS 8. And they definitely said optimized. And rootless, which was not specifically addressed in the keynote, which of course the main reason behind it is to kill jailbreaking, but it looks like it is part of iOS 9. Thanks to Francisco for pointing that out. So I think, yes, that's a kind of sort of hit. Even though it wasn't mentioned in the keynote, it is, it is rolled out with iOS 9. Those items that were not announced or definitely wrong were iPod Touch 6th Gen, 
Advanced Parental Controls, Apple TV Hub for HomeKit, Trusted Wi-Fi, Apple Watch Font in iOS 9, iOS 9 supports Force Touch, over 200 features in iOS 9 announced, select who can get a read receipt, Apple TV App Store, HomeKit app, dev access to private APIs, although they did give access to a couple of private APIs that they mentioned that were not previously available. The one that was not checked off that I think was the biggest possible sign of something's amiss, and that is Apple Watch sales numbers. Nothing, zip, nada, no soup for us when it came to those numbers. Nothing was even mentioned or hinted at per Apple Watch sales. If you want to get devs excited to develop for something, letting them know how many people are out there with said device is kind of a big deal, if the numbers are a big deal. No mention tells me the numbers are lower than the analysts are estimating. Will be interesting to see when Apple finally gives us numbers on Apple Watch buys, but it could really be a long time before we find out what those numbers are. Of course, let me know what you like the most and or least about what was announced or not announced at WWDC 2015 keynote. What is it that you want to see added to iOS 9 that was not announced? If you are disappointed or excited about the keynote, why? What is it that got your juices flowing, good or bad? Call us or email us. would love to get a lot of feedback for the next episode. And here is some quick feedback already that's come in. From the Google Plus community, from Myron Euchre, quote, I admit that I only caught a little bit of the WWDC 2015 keynote via CNET's live blog and plan to watch it later tonight, but am I the only person who thinks they spent a lot of time talking about almost nothing? There weren't a lot of earth-shattering changes in iOS 9 or other devices, Of course, we expected Siri updates and the Beats music service. They spent a huge amount of time talking about changes to the Notes app, of all things. There wasn't a whole lot else that was new in iOS. It feels like Apple is devoting most of the resources to enhancing Apple Watch and leaving the rest alone for now. To me, the exciting change was slide over and split screen on the iPad, but even that wasn't totally unexpected. It's about time they added it, but they needed... The memory bump on the iPad Air 2 to even make it happen. Once that happened, we knew that it would had to be something added at a major release because it would need developer support, unquote. One item I did not talk about, well, I kind of just mentioned really briefly um, at the event was the term app thinning. I mentioned that as one of the things that was on the slide. This is a long overdue feature. Francisco Tapia has a nice post in the Google Plus community on this, and he said, quote, what is app thinning? If a developer has a universal app with multiple assets for multiple screen sizes, then now when you download that app on your iPhone, it will no longer download all the iPad assets with it as well. This will save you a lot of space for very large game apps. There is also on-demand deployment where part of the app will not download until it's required. Unquote. Well, thank you, Francisco, for that nice, concise explanation of app thinning. Save me some time having to research that. Okay, next episode, I hope to have more feedback from listeners on their thoughts and your thoughts of iOS 9 and the keynote event, along with my own experience of it. I need to update a couple of devices to iOS 9. Probably will wait on my iPhone 6 Plus a little bit, but definitely want to get my son's iPhone 4S updated ASAP and the third gen iPad and my Apple Watch. So again, next episode, we'll be going over that. My experiences some new features that we find that weren't announced, and of course, your feedback. So please, please, please send in your feedback.
Thanks again to lynda.com for their support of TII. And if you go to lynda.com slash TII, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TII, you will get free 10-day trial to their 3,300-plus video tutorials. Thanks, Linda, for sponsoring this show and for the free offer. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or record your feedback and email to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Gee, what could you talk about? Oh, I don't know. Maybe iOS 9 and your thoughts. And finally, there is the TII app, which is now free to you. Search for TII in the iTunes App Store is the best way to consume the show and to get push notifications each time a new episode of TII is released, like in a few minutes from now or a few minutes before, depending on your perspective. So please go right now and download the TII app. Did I mention it's free? And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I.
actually did get one piece of email in right while I was checking the song at the end there. Hi Rob, I always look forward to the keynote at WWDC and all other Apple announcements, but today was disappointing. I realize it's a developer conference, but I was hoping for one new or updated piece of hardware. I thought adding the women speakers is a good idea, but they should have practiced more. And it really seemed just for the show. But the most disappointing thing was the one more thing. Even though I knew a music streaming service was coming, I couldn't believe they used the phrase which Steve Jobs used to announce really groundbreaking products for their music streaming service. I don't need someone to curate my playlist. Sheesh. And the plus side, my Apple Watch is coming today, and I look forward to learning to use it, as well as the Apple Watch apps that are coming. I look forward to hearing your take on the keynote as well as your opinions of other TI and the opinions of other TI listeners. Thanks for all you do for the iOS community, Rob. Regards, Steph in Henderson, Nevada. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> 